If you look at the original text of the word antichrist, do you see that it means one who sticks arm through window? <laughs> I'm going to put that at the beginning of the podcast. Thanks for listening to Worship Local. This is our non-podcast where we invite you into the long-winded, ever-deepening, sometimes winding conversation of Frontier Church, where we exist for the glory of Jesus and the joy of Des Moines. Since Colt preached a sermon about the Antichrist last Sunday, today's episode is about the Antichrist and other biblical forces of darkness. So whether you live in Des Moines or elsewhere, we hope this podcast helps you worship local. Uh, my name is Cole, and I, I'm the guy who preached that sermon about the Antichrist. And I'm here with... I'm Andrew. I'm the guy that just told you that Cole preached that sermon about the Antichrist. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm excited to get into this conversation, dude. Are you are you psyched to talk about the Antichrist? Oh, I am, man. We had a good little pregame session of it, so I'm excited to, to formulate our thoughts okay. some more. Do you say Antichrist or Antichrist and doesn't matter? I don't know if I ever paid attention. What did I just say? Anti. Anti. I say anti. I don't know why, though. I don't have a good reason for doing that. Uh, it's because I got Southern blood, and you got to emphasize those eyes. Yeah, yeah, this is probably it. Um, before we jump into it, how are you guys doing? How was your experience with the derecho? Oh, it was exciting. I was <laughs> getting groceries on last Monday morning. I went into Aldi, and it was partly cloudy, but just looked like a you know a regular muggy August day in Iowa. You were in Aldi when when the derecho hit. Yeah. Okay. I come out and it's pretty dark, and I start loading my groceries in my truck, and then tornado siren starts going off. I was like, hmm, that's weird. And then the, I start to see these clouds just flying, hauling tail. And uh, so I called Tracy. Dude, so fast. Yeah, we're cr- scarily fast. So yeah. I, I called Tracy. And I said, hey, are the tornado sirens going off in our neighborhood? She said, no, we're outside right now. We're we're just started going on a walk. And I was like, go inside and go to the basement right now. I didn't know if yeah. it was a tornado or what it was. So I go and run, take my cart back to the little thing at Aldi. And the, like, the cart sanitizing box that every store has right now flew up in the air. I could have caught the thing with my hands if I wanted to. What? <laughs> yeah. So it flip in the air. Me and this uh, Aldi employee carry the box back inside. Then the transformers blow. The power lines start to snap. The power goes off in Aldi. People are freaking out. Uh, and there was like this mom with her little kid. Oh, they had just. Wow. This was their first week in Iowa. They just moved here from California. She's like, <laughs> oh, is it going to no. get bad? I was like, I've lived here for almost five years now, and I've not seen uh, weather like this. So you, if you live close by, you should go home. She did not heed my warning. She went to Aldi, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it was crazy, yeah. Lost a giant tree in her backyard. Um, God was gracious and didn't allow it to fall on garages or houses you said so, it was like the one place dude, in your yard it could have fallen without destroying somebody's house literally without hitting my house my garage or four neighbors houses or garages that is so crazy dude wow it was nuts so i i read one tweet that said one one way you know that the derecho was scary is that even midwesterners went inside during the derecho yeah it's totally true because like if you're a midwesterner and you hear the tornado siren most of the time, you walk outside to go see if you can spot the tornado. Yeah, but dude, even I took my family down in the basement. And I was like, yeah. "This is weird." Well, and you dude. guys have a bunch of trees near you, so like, you don't want one of those falling through your window and hitting somebody. No, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, dude. Especially Beaverdale neighborhood. It's so old. All these trees yep. are old and weak and huge, and that's why it took forever for us to get power back. We got it back before you guys, so yeah, we got ours. Thursday night, I believe. High, Highland Park is an, an old neighborhood, though. Yeah. So. Oh, I'm Union Park. I don't want to associate myself oh, with sorry. Highland yeah, yeah. Park. Though. That's <laughs> Nick Powell's former cosmic geography. <laughs> okay. So here's here's the way that we're going to attack the subject of Antichrist in this podcast. I want to start by talking about some caricatures of the Antichrist in pop culture. Then we'll shift into some various theories of who the Antichrist is. Then we'll end our time together just looking at, okay, what, that's great, but what does the Bible say about the Antichrist? Now, Self, you, you grew up in the church, dude. You grew up in Christian pop culture. So, like, growing up, what were some crazy stuff that you heard about the Antichrist? Oh, man. Well, you've got the low-hanging fruit of whichever pope is the pope. 
Um, that's just a given. Uh, one of my favorites yeah. is Barney being the Antichrist. The dinosaur? I, yep. Uh, tell me about that. I don't exactly remember how they connected it with Barney being Satan incarnate, but um, they it's like slowed down his, you know, the typical, like, what would happen if I slowed down this song and played it in reverse? <laughs> like, I think it was something like that. Oh, no. Yeah. And, you know, Barney had... <laughs> you know, control over the minds of children in the nineties. So he was definitely the antichrist. So that was a, that was a funny one. You hit on the, uh, the monster energy drink one. That one is entertaining. Dude. That, yeah. It's entertaining. It's funny. It also makes me want to pull my hair out because non-Christians watch that stuff and they're like, Oh, this is what Christians are. And I just want to be like, no, this is not, it's not us. No. That, that, yeah. It just fully plays into the, caricature of christians being dumb they you know have an imaginary friend they need a crutch to lean on they need their opiate of the masses as, mm-hmm. uh, you know they 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 need this and these people are just stupid and unintelligent and there definitely are unintelligent people who who are um well-meaning christians who need maturity um but there's and there's a lot of crazies out Christ, christian crazies on youtube um, yeah dude yeah and it, it just i got yeah, it, it it slanders the name of Christ and the bride that Christ gave himself over for. So, um, yeah, I don't want to be lumped into that category. I want to denounce that entirely. I am anti those anti-Christ people. Yeah, me neither. And I, I feel like I feel like my desire to not be lumped into the same category as those people is is the reason why. And it's a bad reason, but it's probably the reason why we are almost four years in as a church plant, and this is the first time I've explicitly preached about the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not it's not a good motivator, and I'm, I'm confessing this. I'm not, like, boasting about this. <laughs> I'm confessing this. But I feel like, I feel like it was a driving motivac- like motivating factor for me to like not regularly talk about the Antichrist. It's, I don't want to be lumped into the category with like the Christian crises. Yeah, yeah. I'd, r- I'd rather preach on the biblical definition of marriage than the Antichrist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seriously, dude. Like it's yeah, because it. People I'm surprised he- I didn't throw this sermon at you. Uh, I would have. Yeah. Make you make you preach it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm. I think our church loves the way that we have. And by we, I don't mean, just mean you and I, but our our entire preaching team um, of handling some of these touchy subjects or subjects that have been taken to weird places and uh, Christian Middle Earth, as uh, a scholar that I really admire calls all these you know crazy Christian Middle Earth. Yeah, that's what he calls the <laughs> Christian Internet with all these crazy <laughs> stories and you know like oh one of the other good ones about. Uh, uh, the Antichrist was this guy. I believe that President Obama was the Antichrist because Classic. in a Luke passage he said that uh, the word Barak is in there, but it's B A R A Q in uh, English transliteration. Um, but this guy, like, he just was a complete dingus and mm-hmm. didn't even know Hebrew. He didn't know there was a difference between Aramaic and Hebrew and Greek. So just looked <laughs> like a fool, just because he was such a you know full-throated Republican. He had to, yeah, you know, yeah. Obama is the Antichrist. <laughs> and, you know, once, so once you declutter your Christian imagination from all of these, like, really immature, non-scholarly perspectives on the Antichrist, it's actually, it's actually kind of intellectually riveting to think deeply about what the Bible is trying to say and what John is trying to say when he uses the phrase Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can, like, like even this last week, right? Like prepping for the sermon and getting ready to preach the sermon and being pretty excited to preach God's word about the Antichrist. All of a sudden, I could see this glimmer of, oh, I see why people can sometimes go off the rails and be so devoted to Antichrist witch hunting. Yeah, it's really stimulating to it think is. about these things. Yeah, I mean, you can type Exciting. in yeah Antichrist anywhere in your search engine on your computer or your phone and. There's so much content out there that's good and that's bad because yeah it Amen, is dude. it's just like conspiracy theories people get so in, entangled in them because they're fascinating to read it may be the craziest thing ever but it's fascinating to read so it starts off as I want to mm-hmm. learn about this lead you to you know you've got all of the tabs open in Google Chrome and you <laughs> you're just reading all this stuff but yeah I yeah, thought the way that so you handled it was with you know the restrictions of a sermon I, I really liked how you. Um, preached this passage um, in First John, um, so I'm excited that we get to flush out some more content of the Antichrist in this episode. 
Yeah, I had one member say to me a while back, a wh- I think probably six months ago, I had a church member say to me, one of the things that excites me about raising my kids in Frontier Church is knowing that they will hear truth, but that they will hear truth spoken of with the prop in the proper way and mm. with, with the proper emotions. I feel like that's something that um, you, Kerr, Carlos, Powell, and I all do well, which is high theology with emotional intelligence. You know, like that's, that's kind of rare. Like sometimes preachers who are a little bit more emotionally intelligent will sometimes deviate from truth. And mm-hmm. sometimes the truth guys are, it's all about the truth, not about how you handle it. And I think something that our church or our, our preaching team does really well is holding both of those together. Yeah, it's been a joy to have that developed in our hearts and in our minds. Um, I think it's kind of happened. You were a little bit ahead of that and, and then a little ahead of me in that. And so, but it's been cool to learn about these things and like, yeah, not just care about people getting, you know, the right information in their brain, but you do a great job of, you know, showing the beauty of it. And here's why you should love this. And here's how it should, you know, impact and affect your emotions. And here's how you can love God with yes, your mind, but all of mm-hmm. who you are. Um, that's something that, yeah, that we really want to come from the pulpit and we want that to work its way out into fighter group conversations and community group discussions, not just, Oh, well, what did you think about this? But what did you think about it? What did you learn? But what is that doing to your heart? What is Mm. that doing to your hands? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I'm very passionate about that as well. Yeah. So let's, let's talk theories about the antichrist. I've got one, two, three, four, five, I've got five theories um, about the Antichrist that I think hold some level of scholarly weight. So, no, let me, I I shouldn't have said that. Shoot, let me take that back. (laughs) A couple of these, I think, hold scholarly and biblical weight. Um, A couple of them we just need to talk about to get out of the way so that we can think rightly about the Antichrist. So let's let's start with one of those. is, is the Antichrist tied to the Roman Catholic denomination of Christianity? So here's a couple, here's a couple, <laughs> here's a couple theologians on it. Here's what Luther said. <laughs> he said, We here are of the conviction that the papacy is the seat of the seed of the true and real Antichrist. Listen to this. He says, I owe the Pope no other obedience than that I owe to the Antichrist. <laughs> <laughs> and here's, so here's the 1689 London Baptist Confession. I like this confession. This is one of the things I take exception with. So here's, here's what the 1689 says. The Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church. By the Father's appointment, all authority is conferred on him in a supreme and sovereign manner to call, institute, order, and govern the church. The Pope of Roman Catholicism cannot in any sense be the head of the church. Rather, he is the Antichrist the man of lawlessness and the son of destruction who exalts himself in the church against Christ and all that is called God. The Lord will destroy him with the brightness of his coming. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Now, now we're both Protestants. Let me, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. What do you think? Is, is the, is the antichrist tied to Roman Catholicism? Uh, I mean, in a way that almost anything can be tied like if you want to speak broadly, like we were talking about, you know, what is the definition of of the Antichrist? And especially in John's letter that we looked at, you know, he's got Antichrist is coming and many Antichrists have arisen Singular already. Singular and plural. Yes. Yeah. So in a way you could do that, but I don't know if I could look at, I wouldn't want to look at one Pope or look at the Catholic Church and say, this is the Antichrist. Like with, um, was it Luther, the 1689 that said the he is the man of lawlessness. Yeah, both of them. Both, both of them, them say, say the true and real Antichrist. So both of them use the definitive article, and so both of them are saying theologians refer to this claim as the sole Antichrist. Yeah. They're making that claim. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't go there. I, I would say there's evidence in some of the texts that we'll walk through that the, the, the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, um, it is a singular person that will you know we're going to develop in this this episode. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say that, yeah, the Roman Catholic Church this is the antichrist that we've been looking for. 
right? right yeah i mean the probably like when these things were being written in the as the reformation developed in the 1500s and 1600s the catholic church was doing some jacked up stuff so if i was there i'd probably be like yeah this is the antichrist the pope is the oh, antichrist sure. yeah um but i think that's looking at your situation rather than the text yeah and I, i'm not smarter than any of those dudes who wrote the london baptist confession i'm not yeah, sm- yeah, smarter yeah. than luther but um I just I don't think that you can make a great case for the Roman Catholic Church being the Antichrist. No, I like Roman Catholicism, man. Like I'm obviously I'm not a Roman Catholic. Um, I'm I'm really 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 Protestant. Obviously, as a Reformed Baptist dude, I'm like on the spectrum of being Protestant. I'm like towards the most Protestant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't care for Roman Catholic theology. Um, but what I think the Protestant Church can learn from is Roman Catholic practice. I, I just like that, in general, Roman Catholics seem to be more okay with getting their whole body involved with worshiping God, mm-hmm. whether that's through kneeling in prayer or uh, using incense during worship services. I like the way that they handle liturgy for the most part. Yeah. Obviously, I don't care for their theology. Otherwise, I'd be Roman Catholic. Um, but like I, I read those guys, and like you said, if I were in their context— I could see how I would maybe think that's the case. But I'm just like nowhere close to thinking that the Pope is the Antichrist, even as even as a reformed pastor. Mm-hmm. I love I love Catholic people. We we might even have some people who are Catholic listening to this podcast. We love you. Yeah, we have a lot of people who came out of the Catholic Church in our local church family. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's kind of they find kind of a home at yeah. Frontier because we're like we're reformed. Lowercase C Catholic, mm-hmm. not not Roman Catholic, but we practice liturgy. We have a high value of habit, and so people are like, "Oh, this is cool." Yeah, grace alone theology, but yeah, I'm just not gonna. My uh, my wife's uh, grandmother was like very German Catholic, played the organ at church, did all that. But I know that she loved Jesus, and if you asked her how how does someone get saved, she would say by placing their faith in Jesus, by receiving his free gift of grace. So I'm not going to be like, hey, that's, yeah, that's, you're plus, a, that's great. you're a part of the Antichrist, and you are a little Antichrist because you're a part of the Roman Catholic Church. I'm not going to go there. No, no. Are there Antichrists in the Roman Catholic Church? Of course. Yeah. Are there Antichrists in the Protestant Church? Of course, because there were Antichrists in these John, the, the churches John is writing. Uh-huh. Um, so that's an argument that I don't think holds any weight. Here's a second theory that I don't think holds any weight. Is is the Antichrist Satan? Or sometimes we refer to Satan, we put the definitive article in front of it. Is the Antichrist the Satan? We do that because Satan's not a proper name. And in the original language, it does have a definitive article in that. But I'm, I'm, just, I'm way off the tracks with that. Um, you go for it, man. Do you think that the Antichrist is a Satan? Let's talk about this theory. I think if you've never uh, done a little bit of Bible study, or, and if you've never like read the Left Behind books... Um, that you know you've got Nikolai and leading the Nicolaitans to you know he is the Antichrist. Um, I, I think oh, is he? He's the Antichrist uh, figure in that. Uh, is, Nikolai is he the Antichrist or the false prophet? I can't. Remember. Anyway, okay. I'm obviously a somewhere bad Christian because I've never read Left no, Behind. I read like the first book and like I remember crying in my parents' room because I you know read oh, the Rapture. No. Yeah. Oh no! I was freaked out by the Rapture, dude. Uh, anyway, um, I, I think it's easy to mindlessly go to. Uh, the Antichrist is Satan. Like, th- they are synonymous. I think probably if you were to, you know, get 100 self-proclaimed Christians and you ask them who the Antichrist is, I think there would be a significant number of people who would be like, the Antichrist is Satan. I think, it, I think it's an yeah. easy place for people to go just because they're like, what is the opposite of Christ? Uh, it's Satan. Therefore, yeah. Satan is the Antichrist. I, I don't think that a lot of Christians have a good theology about the the how populated the spiritual realm is. Yeah. Right? I think if most Western Christians were to imagine who's in the spiritual realm, there's the good guy, God, mm-hmm. and there's the bad guy, Satan. But obviously that's not what we see in the biblical text. It's a highly populated realm mm-hmm. with many forces of good and many forces of darkness. But yes. So I, I think that's why people think that. Yeah. Yeah, it's just you got this guy over here, then you got this guy over here, and this guy's got some of his, he's got some teammates, and this guy over here's got some teammates, and there's darkness and there's light, and it's just, yeah. Right, right. It's yeah, not yeah, densely yeah. populated. Hmm. 
He's tied closely, though. Yeah. To the Satan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would... Where I'm at, and I, I'm still studying this, still learning um, like, and developing the theology of, of the Antichrist, but from what I have seen, um, and especially in um, Second Thessalonians, I would say that the Antichrist is Satan incarnate, that, that the Antichrist is the son of the Satan. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's part of why John calls him the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Yep, you've got the Antichrist, you, and then, you know, and so that freaks people out, I think. Um, I don't know if I'm skipping over some of your other theories, if I'm jumping to... No, no, go for it, your list. Yeah. Um, but I think it freaks people out. But if you if you look at one of the, as the Bible Project guys call it, a design pattern that we see throughout the whole of the uh, Old Testament and New Testament, you see that Satan is hell-bent, like literally hell-bent, on mm-hmm. destroying mankind. So you looked at you, you. You walked our church through Ezekiel Ezekiel twenty eight. <laughs> Dude, that text is crazy, nuts, bro. Man. <laughs> so crazy. Um, so he is a an, an anointed cherub. So it's Satan, the Satan originally had a role in place in God's heavenly host. And I should have clarified this. So I'm using the podcast right now as an opportunity to do that. Satan was anointed with oil not the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That's the difference yeah. between his anointing and ours. Yes. Sorry, keep, I, that, no, was no. Just, that was a caveat no, I needed yeah. to bring that. Um, <clears throat> so he had a, a specific role. So God, he had a, a spiritual family um, to help us think through these categories. He had, a, he had the spiritual heavenly family. He then created an earthly family for himself. So he created mankind. Um, Satan is, is not happy about this. So he wants to unravel humanity. He wants to destroy God's earthly imagers. So when we see in um, Genesis 3, when the serpent comes up on the scene, uh, the the literary devices used would want us to believe, there's it's like a triple entendre, but the Satan comes and tempts Adam and Eve. Why? Does he want them just to do a bad thing? No, he wants to destroy them. He wants mm-hmm. to introduce yeah. death into into God's earthly family. That That is why he does that. And then you, so you see that. Then you see in Genesis 6 where people go crazy over this passage as well. But you, the sons of God descend and they take for themselves women to pervert humanity. They, they right. create the yeah. Nephilim. And whatever way you want to interpret that, we see the sons of God come to earth and they take for themselves women. They pervert humanity. They inter- introduce destruction and more death and they create these... Um, these this new offspring that that are all jacked up and that are agents of chaos and agents of violence. Um, that Satan is what he's doing there is he's leading this rebellion to once again try to destroy humanity. At the Tower of Babel, God wants mankind to spread over the face of the earth to image him on earth as his earthly imagers. But they clump together. They say no. They give God the finger and they build this tower for themselves. And they're they're prideful. They're all high and mighty about what they've just accomplished. And God says, no, we're not going to do this. Um, so over and over and over again, you see that that the Satan wants to unravel humanity. And Jesus enters in the scene. God incarnate takes on human flesh, lives a perfect human life um, to undo what Satan had done. Um, so what we see in the New Testament as this develops, the Antichrist is Satan once again trying to lead people away from God and incarnates a individual who is, who is going to, before Christ's return, lead more people away from Jesus. So he's the Antichrist. He has devoted his being to lead people astray from following Christ, uh, to deceive them, to blind their minds, and to bring them and hold them captive in his kingdom of darkness. Dude, and I, so this is the way that the Westminster describes that whole event, too. And I love this, dude. This is, this is from Westminster question 19. It says, because one of the questions is like, why would God cause that to happen? Or why would God allow that to happen? This is the way that the Westminster Catechism phrases it. This is great. It says, God, by his providence, permitted some of the angels willfully and re-irrecoverably to fall into sin and damnation, limiting and ordering that 
and all their sins to his own glory. That is such a Westminster way of phrasing that, dude. It definitely is. (laughs) But God gets more glory Mm -hmm. by scheming against against these powers of forces and rescuing us from them and and bringing us into his own glory and destroying the forces of darkness it's, it's awesome yeah and that in Christ's descent into hell is like a is a is a picture of that goes down yeah, there yeah. preaches to those who had rebelled preaches to the evil spirits and says bad news guys i'm about to get up out of this place and i'm going to be seated at the right hand of the father I am the son, I am the son of God, I'm the son of man, I'm going to ascend and rule and reign over all of creation, and I'm going to lead these faithful believers out of, out of Hades, and they will rule and reign with me in new creation. Um, and so that's a picture of what we get to, what, what is going to happen. Christ is going to descend once again and return bodily and visibly, and he's going to put down the rebels. He's going to mm-hmm. destroy destruction. Yeah. He's going to kill death. Um, and so... If it, if it's just like some you know bad thinking or some bad actions that the antichrist introduces, then his Jesus's response is really crazy. It seems really off kilter. Why is he coming back and so violent? Why is all this blood? You know, yeah. Here? Why yeah, is John? Is garment? Yeah. Oh, wow. Why is why does John talk about Jesus returning with you know a name that's not been defiled and the sword coming out of his mouth and him destroying all evil and wickedness? That seems really out of place. But it's because the antichrist is. Satan incarnate and is leading these rebels against Jesus and his rule and reign. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's easy to see why people would conflate the two figures, even though they aren't the exact same figure. Right. Um, I mean, John is... Because even when John refers to the Antichrist and refers to the world, he's hinting at Satan. He doesn't use that phrase or that title, the Satan. But I don't, I don't know if you notice this, but if you look at the text that I preached on last Sunday, he... Here's the language in in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. That's a literary clue right there. Mm-hmm. Listen, he says, the desires, what's the world? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's a literary clue. In the same way that John points us to the book of Genesis at the beginning of the letter, when he says, hey, that which was from the beginning, he's pointing us back to Genesis again. In Genesis 3, after being tempted by the serpent to disobey God, Genesis describes the fall of mankind this way. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, Mm -hmm. it's the desires of the flesh, and that it was a delight to the eyes, desires of the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, that's the pride of life, she took of its fruit and ate. So what John is talking about when he refers to the world as a power of darkness is he's saying, hey, that same system and strategy that Satan used to deceive Adam and Eve, that wasn't a like that wasn't a one-time event that happened a long time ago. Mm-hmm. That that system, that strategy is embedded into reality through ideas, values, and norms that get institutionalized into culture. That's why Paul describes Satan as the god of this world. Mm-hmm. He doesn't mean that Satan is sovereign over the created earth. Yahweh is the God of that world. Uh But as a system and strategy that's designed to get people to sin, yeah, Satan is the God of Mm -hmm. that world. Dude. uh, No, no, this is crazy. No, Alex in my community group last night when we were talking, uh, she, she saw that. And it's like, oh, she did? Yeah. She picked up on that. I was so excited. So then we walked through. Um, like the, you know, David, whenever he goes up on his roof when he should be out doing combat. Way to, way to go, Alex. Yeah, she crushed it. I, I just, you know, it was like opening question. Hey, what do you guys see in this? And she was like, oh, this reminds me of Eve looking at the, the tree and looking at the fruit, and it was desirous. It was good. She wanted to, and so I was like, yes. Whoa. This is a huge pattern Dude, in the Alex scripture. Alex is a beast. Yeah. Well, I, not in like the way that the Bible uses the word beast. Yeah, I mean, not, like, not the beast. Right, right. We'll get around to that. <laughs> Alex is awesome is what I meant. Yeah. But, you know, it's the same. Like, David, he looks at Bathsheba, and and she was good to the eyes. And what does he do? He takes her. And then he covers up his sin. So it's this pattern oh, of, yeah. of, uh, of sin and temptation. It's, yeah, we see it. We think it's good. But it's Satan trying to lead us away from faithfulness and fidelity to Yahweh. Right. So, yeah. So I, I love yeah what John is doing right here. It's so good. Dude. He's so, not coming up with content on his no, own. No, he's re-preaching Genesis. Yeah. <laughs> and Exodus. We'll get to that, though. Um, so Satan 
and the Antichrist, are they the same figure? No. Are they co-workers? Definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get, I think we'll even get into more about their relationship with one another in this podcast, but we'll, we'll wait for that. So those are, those are two theories that I don't think hold literary and theological weight. So let's do three theories that I think are worth thinking about, even though I don't land exactly on really... I don't even know where I land. Yeah. Um, but yeah, here are three good theories. Um, the first one is... Is Gnostic or sorry is is uh, is the Antichrist tied to ancient Rome? What do you think about that theory, bro? And this a lot of this depends on when you end up dating First John as a letter. Yeah. So I, from what I have studied, and it's not exhaustive, but I I think that the evidence that I've seen that I'm most compelled to is that. Um, that revelation was written in AD nineties. So Nero, who um, a lot of people, especially yeah, I agree pe- with that. Yeah. So especially people who fall into the Emil category, a lot of them want to associate Nero as the antichrist, but Nero was dead by the time that, that John uh, wrote revelation, uh, his revelation. Um, so, so yes and no, I think it, it, it is just like we were talking about with the Pope is, is there, um, is the Roman Catholic Church the Antichrist? No. Are there Antichrists in the Roman Catholic Church? Yes, just as they are everywhere else. So I think if, generally speaking, you can look at the Roman Empire and say that it's wicked, it's against Christ, it's against his people. You know, tons of Christians were yeah. you know being martyred and tortured and persecuted. So were, were they against Christ and the message that he, the, the gospel that he came to earth to bring? Yes. Yeah. Were they against his people? Yes. So in a way, the Roman Empire was an antichrist, but it was it the antichrist. So let's let's pretend though that I think you and I probably date First John and the Book of Revelation pretty similar. Like I don't know, eighty five, ninety, ninety five, somewhere in there. Somewhere. Um, but let's pretend that that we do an early dating of First John. Like let's pretend that we we date it at seventy AD, which is like not out of the question. Mm-hmm. Um, like I could see that being the case, but if you date the the letter early, like seventy A.D., then you see Antichrist right here as a clear reference to Nero's coming rule and reign, which I can I can totally see that man. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a lot of bad stuff. Yeah, we touched on some of that in our first Peter sermon series, right? Mm-hmm. Like especially Nero, he he's the dude who burnt down an entire city and then turned people against Christianity by saying it's the Christians who do that. Mm-hmm. You can see how somebody would be like, yeah, that's the Antichrist. Yeah, for sure. You know, if you were alive in that moment, you'd be like, yeah, this dude's the Antichrist. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, like, if you, especially when it comes to uh, Revelation and um, John's apocalyptic language in, 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 in 1 John, so, you know, he says this is the, the last hour. But if you look at prophetic literature as well in the scriptures, there's this, um, it's an immediate thing. Like this prophecy is going to be fulfilled right now. the 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 next temple is going to be built, at, you know, soon, or it's going to be in a couple hundred years. And it's like, well, it's been a thousand years, and that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we get confused by that, and then we look at our. I think rightly, in a sense, we look at our situations and be like, okay, this is true here today. You know, you go to all these uh, like prophecy watch websites where these people are like, oh, this thing just happened in Jerusalem, so that means Jesus is coming back real soon. Um, so, so I think, yeah, I think people would look at, if you look at one of the most evil people who is against, uh, Jesus and his people, Nero would be at the top of the list there. Um, you could look at some communist dictators in the world right now or in history and be like, yeah, that dude was an antichrist. He hated Christians. They, you know, removed Christianity. There's people who believe that the antichrist is going to be a Muslim leader, but Islam sure. was not in existence whenever John is writing his, his letters and talking about the Antichrist. And, and one of the basic principles about good biblical hermeneutics is it can't mean to us what it didn't mean to them. Right. Totally. Yeah. We, we have to do that work and be like, oh, this, this letter from John is not to me, but it's for me. So how, right. what, how do I understand what, what is John combating in, in this particular letter? What's going on? situationally and historically that's setting the stage for his his writing to these churches in Asia Minor. 
what I, one of the things I do find compelling about the theory that the Antichrist is Nero, or if you want to go more vaguely that the Antichrist is the ancient Roman Empire, one of the things I find compelling about that is because if you if you date that at 70 AD, then all of a sudden you can make a little bit better sense out of what John says when he says, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. So by last hour, what, what John means there, if you if you date it at 70 AD, is John's not referring to the, the fact that he sees the last hour as the end of the cosmos, mm-hmm. but as the last hour before the destruction of the temple. And so people who date it at 70 AD would say, yeah, we're not in the last hour. That happened. Mm-hmm. That's already behind us. Like John was talking about the destruction of the temple. I find that like, I find that to be an attractive theory. That's not where I land. Yeah, um, I land with Luther. Like Luther said, last hour right here is not a reference to John's thought that the world was about to end. It's a reference that we have received our last teaching. We're in the last hour because we have heard God's last word to us, and that's Jesus Christ. We shouldn't look for more revelations. We shouldn't look for more scriptures. We shouldn't look for more Bibles. We shouldn't look for more, more saviors. We're in the last hour. God has spoken his last word to us. That's kind of where I land on that. Yeah, when I when I read last hour or, you know, it's just uh, like Jesus when he says, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand. He was ushering in the, um, he was in, in, he was ushering in the coming of God's kingdom. Like w- the earth today right, here in right. 2020 is not, God's rule and reign is not, is not totally obeyed in the earth right now. So is God's kingdom here yes but is it totally here no so like when i when i read the last hour i'm thinking of the proceedings uh before christ comes these things are happening they're occurring you're seeing it yeah yeah you've heard the antichrist is coming there are many antichrists have arisen already and we're in the last hour so yeah there's there's nothing else that we need to look for we've heard the truth right we're looking forward to jesus coming back and this rebellion this antichrist these antichrists have to initiate um they have to get with the program in order for Jesus to come back again to put down that rebellion. So it's yeah. So it's it's August twentieth, two thousand twenty, and you would say we're in the last hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. But I don't I don't think that means that we think that Jesus is coming back next week. If yep. he does, I'm psyched. That's great. Yeah. But I I don't think that's probably going to be yeah, the case. I'm not thinking. Oh, uh, it's going to be it's going to happen at twelve p.m. today, and we're at ten fifty nine recording this. So here's. Yeah. So here's so here's another interesting theory is the antichrist tied to the book of Exodus. So one of the reasons why I find this theory compelling is that that John as a New Testament writer is probably more shaped by the book of Exodus than any other New Testament writer. So like John is if you read John's gospel John's all about telling the story of Jesus as though it's the new Exodus, right? Mm -hmm. If you read John's gospel, it's really clear that Jesus is the new Moses. He's leading us in the new Exodus. Um, In in the gospel of John, John refers to Jesus as tabernacling among us. So Jesus is the new sacrifice. He's the new Passover lamb. Mm -hmm. He's the new sacrificial system. He's the new tabernacle. He's the new temple. And so John's super influenced by He's, I mean, he's super influenced by Exodus. I even think that's why John refers to us as, as the the holy space where we keep God's commandments and God's presence because mm-hmm. he's shaped by tabernacle. I think that's why John in this coming Sunday's text is going to describe God as indwelling us and us indwelling God. Because mm-hmm. in the same sense that the Ark of the Covenant, we're now the new Ark of the Covenant and the spirit dwells in us, but we also dwell in Christ, who's the new tabernacle. Uh-huh. Like there's all this co-dwelling that's happening. Like, Whew. yeah, I'll, I, I want to save yeah. for this. I've got some stuff I want to <laughs> preach right now. But So what I'm saying is John is super influenced by Exodus. So if you believe in this view, then you look back at the Egyptian pantheon of gods in the book of Exodus, and you notice that the last plague is that God sends on on Egypt is actually opposed to the son of Ra, right? Mm-hmm. The, the final plague? Yep. And so that's actually aimed at Ra or the Egyptian most high God's incarnate son. Mm-hmm. And so if Yahweh has an incarnate son, Jesus, and Ra 
as an incarnate son that God is at war at, then you look at the coming eschaton and you think, oh, this is just a recapitulated exodus where you see Yahweh versus the gods. So the Antichrist must be tied to like this Egyptian pantheon of gods. Am I, was that crazy? No, I, I think, yeah, because, she, I, well, <clears throat> I think he's, yeah, he's structuring things and communicating things in a certain way where they would be like, oh, yeah, we remember that Pharaoh, that was, he was the anti-Yahweh. Right. So right. now, and Ra was the anti-Yahweh. So now we have the incarnate son of Yahweh who has come into the world, crucified, resurrected, he's coming back again. So in that same way that Pharaoh and Ra were anti-Yahweh, then this this figure who is coming is going to be like that, but he's going to be against God's anointed one. Right. And so if you, what I like about this view too is that, I don't know, it just has a strong understanding of the forces of darkness not being an impersonal force like gravity, mm-hmm. but real personal forces in the spiritual realm that are intelligent beings who know how to invade creation and try to deceive God's people away from the truth. Yes. Yeah, it's not some, it's not just like bad energy floating around. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. Against Christ. But these, they're literal. Bad juju. Yeah, they're literal beings who want to destroy Jesus followers. They're real beings that want to lead and dis- lead people away from the, the teachings of the scriptures and blind their eyes with deception so that they can't see Jesus with. Um, so if you, if you have that framework, then yeah then the Christian life is a life of spiritual warfare where we're battling against these principalities and these, the, the rulers of the age and the powers of darkness. We're engaging in, in spiritual warfare when we preach the gospel, whenever we take care of one another, whenever we pray, whenever we go on missions, um, we are engaging in spiritual warfare because the antichrist he's on, he's and Satan, they're engaging in spiritual warfare. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so, so then we too are called into this this battle. We're we're called to put on the whole armor of God. Why are you put on armor? Why do you have a sword? It's because you're you're gonna engage in combat. Yeah, dude. So here's the here's the last theory, and this is the one that I'm closest to giving the green light. Where I'm like, yeah, I think that's what's going on. Is the Antichrist tied to Gnosticism? So for our listeners who didn't listen to our our podcast on the literary and historical context of First John as a polemic that's written against Gnosticism. If you didn't listen to that podcast, you, you should. It's important. Um, but Gnosticism is essentially the belief that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh. He only appeared to have a physical body. Um, this is tied to like this is tied to, to Greek heresy of thinking that there's a spiritual realm and a physical realm, and the physical realm is bad and sinful and tainted, and the spiritual realm is good and pure and everything like that. So if that's the case, then God could not have taken on a body because that means that God would have been sinful. So that's that's kind of the lie of Gnosticism. And I think that's the Antichrist is probably tied to that. Are you on board with that? Yeah, I would be there. Um, I, I Yeah, I am. That's probably... I think I, I have most alignment with that thought, because I think you, with Gnosticism, it's it's heretical because and it's it, because what they're they're taking a hint of truth and they're distorting it and dist- and destruct and deconstructing it. Yeah, the same scheme that the serpent had in the garden didn't totally. He didn't like introduce something to him. He's like, hey, did you guys know there is this tree over here that can enlighten your mind? Did you know that's what's going on over here? Come on, God, he has, he's been you know hiding this from you. So he, he, he tries to manipulate Eve with the framework that she's already been given. And he distorts it enough to where Eve rebels against Yahweh, where Adam rebels against Yahweh. And so I think for, that's what John has in his mind here is that the, the Antichrist and the little Antichrists, um, they are distorting the truth. They're not just telling an outright lie, but they're taking what right. is true and perverting it. Right, and that's that's the that's the antichrist weapon. Mm-hmm. So no matter where you read about the antichrist, whether it's First John or Second John or Revelation, in all of those cases, the the main the main weapon that the antichrist uses is is heresy mm-hmm. or untruth or 
lies or corrupting knowledge. So he's he's a deceiver. Mm-hmm. And so it would make sense to me that he would be tied into the deception that John seems to want to combat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's... You've got these people who are like, hey, I actually know uh, the truth about the anointed one. Let me come over here and let me let me talk to you about him. He wasn't fully God and fully man. He just had that for a little for a little time. It was like a little party trick that, that he had. Um, and then it went away um, because the, the world, the physical world is bad. Uh, in your hypothetical situation right now explains exactly what John's about to say. Because John's about to say like, no, you have your anointing, you have the Holy Spirit, and you don't have any need for teachers. Mm-hmm. John doesn't mean that we shouldn't preach. Like, I mean, the Bible speaks glowingly about God appointing teachers within the church. What John is saying is you don't need new teachers and you don't need new teachings. Mm-hmm. You have to abide in what you've already heard in the gospel. Yes. So that makes that makes total sense to yeah. me. Yeah. So you've got yeah, these people who are like, hey, yeah, I'm the... I mean, in the same way that you had the messianic movements in the time of Christ, like... There were people claiming to be be the Messiah, God's anointed one, that was going to overthrow the Roman Empire, and they just died. Mm. Then they stayed dead. And they stayed, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. And so you have Jesus come on the scene, who is the anointed one, the truly anointed one. He gets he gets killed. He gets put down uh, because you know they're like, oh, this is just another rebel who's you know has a bunch of crazy talk going on, and people are following him, so we got to kill this dude. But he raises from the dead. He doesn't stay dead proving that he is the anointed one. Um, so you have these these heretics running around saying, hey, I actually know the truth. You mm-hmm. need to come be on my team. And they're, it would seem like w- with what John is talking about, they didn't just leave, but they left and they are they're attacking the church. They're throwing in their, they're lobbing in their heretical grenades to try to destroy the church. Um, so it's, yeah, it's not just like, oh yeah, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in this Jesus. But it's like, hey, this is what I believe about the Messiah. This is what I believe about the anointed one. You need to listen to the lesson that I've got for you. Hmm. I was reading N.T. Wright earlier this week about uh, the crucifixion of Jesus. And I this is, this is a little off topic, but you said you know, everybody wanted to kill Jesus. He was just another rebel. There's one person who didn't want to kill Jesus. It's the dude who said, hey, if you're really the son of man, then come down from the cross. Mm-hmm. Who was that? Well, he's using the exact same literary language as Satan earlier when he says, if you're really the son of man, throw yourself off this cliff. Mm-hmm. Or if you're really the son of man, then do this and do that. And so apparently Satan is trying. There's one person who doesn't want Jesus to Ooh. crucify himself, which is the Satan. The problem is that Jesus Christ and his true identity was hidden from other forces of darkness. Mm -hmm. So what you see is chaos in the forces of darkness where Satan's like, no, no, come down from that cross. But the other forces of darkness don't know it. And so they're crucifying him. So I I just found that to be super I've never connected that. Holy. Hmm. (laughs) I got my next study topic okay okay <laughs> okay so that that to me is the most compelling theory though, yeah that it's tied to gnosticism gnostic teaching and gnostic teachers but at the end of the day we can take these theories and they're interesting and intellectually stimulating put them to the side and let's just talk about what the bible actually says about the antichrist i want to look at three key passages really really quickly all of them come from john john's the only writer in the bible that uses the phrase antichrist the first time it pops up is from the text that we looked at last Sunday. So here's First John. He says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. So there it is. I would say anybody who is a strong, political, powerful, religious figure who denies that Jesus is the Christ, is an antichrist, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. That's pretty clear in the text. Pretty clear. Here's Second John, though. And this Second John is why I think that it's specifically tied to the, the error of Gnosticism. He says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Seems to be opposing Gnostic teaching, right? Mm -hmm. He says, if you reject the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, that's the Antichrist. Yeah. And in 
uh, chapter 4 of 1 John, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see where they are from, whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So mm. he's tying that in as well. Like there's this deception, there's these deceiving spirits that have gone out, these false prophets that have gone out that are leading people away. And so... Oh, and they've joined the world. Mm-hmm. So they've they've joined we could say Satan's playbook. They're yeah. running his play. Yep. Um, they're they're using they're using his system now. Mm-hmm. Huh. So he he has a yeah well developed theology of the Antichrist. Like it's one of those things where like well who is an Antichrist? Well, it's the one who denies the Father and the Son. You don't have to wonder right, about right. that. And then what is the what is the Antichrist? Uh, well, it's the one who is in flesh and who is denying the father and the son and who are leading people astray. It's going to be some powerful figure who is going to lead people astray. And here's how the book of Revelation describes this powerful figure. This is Revelation 20. He doesn't use the phrase or title Antichrist, but I I think that's what he's getting at with Beast. In Revelation 20, at the conclusion of the cosmos, John says, the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. So you see devil, beast, and false prophet being destroyed and decimated by God. Mm-hmm. You, is Would you agree is the beast the Antichrist here? Yeah, I, I, I think that's what... What uh, what John is getting at this agent of chaos and agent of destruction, um, just like you know, yeah, the the dragon, the the one who is, you know, what is that Revelation twelve, I think, um, where it's the, um, people get really weird out, weirded out by it, but it's this picture of, um, the virgin giving birth and the dragon trying to you know devour, um, oh, the child. Right. I think that's Revelation twelve. Let me look that up real quick. Um, because the reason people get tripped up so much through Revelation is because John is not like, he's not handling things chronologically. No. He he, he will start off in the present and then go. Yeah. And then go into the past and then talk about the future. And then, you know, scattershot. It, it comes across a scattershot to us, but it's not. It's everything that he does is very intentional. We do. We got to preach on Revelation. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, the one in the dragon that's in uh, Revelation 12. Um, but yeah, so you've got this, yeah, these three beings who have uh, rebelled and have led people astray and who've brought destruction and chaos upon the world, and they're being punished eternally for for their uh, for their their crimes against God, their crimes against the Son. We we talked about this a little bit before we hit record. So would you, this, these three persons that we see in Revelation 20 that God is destroying, the devil, the false prophet, and the beast, I've heard them referred to by scholars as the unholy trinity. Is that kind of the right way of thinking about the relationship with one another? I think it's a healthy way. Yeah. And I think that's intention. John has laid out these three beings and I, to... Yet to show that they are truly the, they're trying to take on the image of the triune God, but they're they're perverting and they're oh, they're, yeah. they're slandering. They're like, you know, you've you know the Father, you know the Son, you've been given the Holy Spirit, um, but look at us. We are actually gonna we are actually the masters and the rulers of everything. Our reign is sovereign. Our reign is total. Um, mm-hmm. So I think John is trying to show that these beings are totally and completely against against the triune God, the God of gods, the God of everything. Right. And it's also why I think it's totally appropriate to think of the Antichrist as the son of Satan. Mm -hmm. Because in that same way that that Christ is the son of the Father, is the same way that in the unholy trinity, the Antichrist is the son of the devil or the the incarnation of the devil into the space-time history continuum. You know, I, I, I think that's right. I think it is too because it, it fits in with that pattern that we talked about earlier with Satan Satan wanting to undo and unravel God's earthly imagers, and what's the best way that he can do that is by leading people astray to experience eternity apart from apart from God. Yeah. So it's a helpful way to yeah go about thinking like evil incarnate 
opposite of God incarnate, the opposite of Christ incarnate, um, mm-hmm. to lead people away from the, the true, uh, truly anointed one, the true Christ. And I think this is a great place for us to kind of turn the corner in this conversation and kind of begin to bring it to a close because um, we've talked about a lot of things that we don't know. Like we're, we're not positive exactly how to identify and describe and articulate who exactly and what exactly is the Antichrist. And this theory has some merit and that theory has some merit. We talked a lot, a lot of things that we don't know. But here's the one thing that we do know. Jesus wins. Mm-hmm. We know that. Jesus destroys him. We know that we know that those who have been anointed with the Holy Spirit will not lose to the deceiver. They will not believe the lies. So, dude, encourage our church for just a moment, man. Like, given all that we've talked about about the forces of darkness and the forces of evil and the antichrist, like, what's what's one encouragement? What's what should we do? How should we live our lives in response to this? Yeah, it's easy to be like this is a weird topic and i don't need to this isn't this isn't recorded in the scriptures for my for life and for godliness and i would say it definitely is john is mm-hmm. addressing these churches because he cares about them he doesn't want them to be led astray he wants them to have a a sober mind when it comes to thinking about the forces of evil who are against jesus and who want to destroy um, mankind so piper has this I think it's really a really helpful uh, framework to think about this. He, he, uh, the article is titled "The Antichrist is Here and Not Yet Here," so he uses like the, the already but not yet of the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is here, but it's not yet here. Um, so that's how he ad- addresses the the text that you preached on last week. Is you've heard the Antichrist is coming, and many Antichrists have arisen, um, and so he's he uses that and plays off of that already but not yet. Um, framework to help to help the church um, have a sober mind and to take this thing seriously. And so so if that is true, if the Antichrist is here but not yet here, and if the kingdom of God is here but it's not yet here, then we need to be people who um, take this take this seriously, take the scriptures seriously. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I think um, I would encourage our church members um, to Put on the the whole armor of God. So in Ephesians six thirteen through eighteen, oh, yeah. is to take this seriously. Yeah. And God has given us everything that we need to um, to combat and to do combat in spiritual warfare. He's given us everything that we need to be protected. He's given us the church to to guard us and to be a fence around our lives from heresy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would say, yeah, take take the scripture seriously about this because this will protect you from falling into heresy it will protect you from from the evil one god has given you everything that you need and jesus has already secured the victory and look forward to him coming back to fully consummate the kingdom of god to fully destroy um satan and the antichrist and death yeah dude that's that's great dude i i think i would say um, I would say my one bit of encouragement is the encouragement that I literally always give our church all the time. Remain in the gospel. Mm-hmm. So if the Antichrist primarily tries to deceive and destroy, not through muscle, but through lies, heresies, and untruths, then I would encourage us to never move on from the gospel, mm-hmm. to never look for new gospels and to grow in your satisfaction in the the simple gospel of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to help you do this as a church, right? This is why, this is part of why every Sunday you come to Frontier Church, you confess a creed or catechism with us. It's that part that's right before the sermon. And if, if you come to Frontier, we confess the Christology statement literally once a month. Mm-hmm. And this is an anti-Gnosticism statement. It's designed to to keep you in orthodox Christian truth. Here's a line from the Christology statement. We confess the mystery and wonder of God made flesh and rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So there's no room for the Antichrist at Frontier Church. No. I mean, we're not saying that he doesn't war against us and rage against us because he definitely does. Um, But we have doctrine and theology in place that's designed to protect you from these forces of darkness and keep you rooted in Jesus. Mm -hmm. If we start changing our theology and throwing out our creeds, then you can get worried. Yes. 
if we throw out the Christology statement, because like we're not sure if Jesus really came in the flesh, run. <laughs> but dude, we're gonna we're gonna keep you in the gospel. Yes, and I think, yeah, uh, John in his second letter, you know, he he takes love seriously. We already we've already seen a little hint of that in First John. We're gonna see some more of that in First John and the Second John. He says, "Love one another, for many deceivers have gone out into the world." Um, so that's a that's a serious thing is to love one another because the world is is against us. I'm not meaning like Republicans or Democrats or whatever, but the world, Satan's mm-hmm. domain is against us, and so we love one another because of that, right? We love one another in spite of that. It's us poking the Satan in the in the eyes by our actions of loving one another. It's it's a it's, it's spiritual warfare when you when we love one another. So things are tough in our in our world right now. Things are tough in Iowa right now, and things are going to get tough. And things are It's going to look like darkness is prevailing. Um, but Piper has this quote. It says, let's out-love and out-rejoice the darkening world. I think that's powerful. That's, that's it. That's, that's, my new, that's my new encouragement. Out-rejoice and out-love the darkening world. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, church, we, I'm sure we're going to hear 100 conversations about this podcast, and that's great. We hope that this was intellectually challenging, intellectually stimulating, but we hope that it contributes to your spiritual health and that as you grow in your knowledge of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for you, you realize that you have been anointed with the Holy Spirit, that you are in the Son and he will be victorious over the Antichrist. Whether you worship in Des Moines or elsewhere, we hope this helps you worship local. 